From Radio Catskill Studios in Liberty, New York, this is the Local Edition. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. Coming up, we're going to have our weekly check-in with uh, Sullivan County. Talk about the return of walk-in mental health services in the county. But first up, it's our regular check-in with New York Focus, the independent newsroom reporting on how power and politics in New York impacts people's lives and how the state really works. Radio Catskill partners with New York Focus to regularly bring you their in-depth journalism. And in recent reporting, New York Focus found that after the worst year on record for overdose deaths in New York, Governor Kathy Hochul wants to level off investment in addiction treatment, use opioid settlement funds to fill the gaps. Here to tell us more, it's New York Focus reporter Spencer Norris. Spencer, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Jason. Great to be back. So um, this is a recent article. It just came out last week. Uh, as overdoses soar, addiction treatment funding stagnates. Uh, what are you finding and, and how are you finding it? Right. So um, Kathy Oko's budget came out a few weeks ago at this point. Uh, and we've been taking time uh, to sort of uh, pour over uh, what she's proposing, uh, where funding is going up or funding is going down. Um, and one thing that sort of jumped out to us was uh, the state's funding uh, for addiction treatment. Um, so the uh, Office of uh, Addiction Services and Supports uh, is the agency that is responsible in New York uh, for sort of coordinating the uh, state strategy for addressing uh, the overdose crisis, um, which is primarily uh, driven by opioids right now. Um and what we realized when we looked at the budget is uh, not only is her office proposing uh, to sort of level off the funding, um, but that it'll actually start declining uh, over the next few years. So under uh, Hochul's proposed budget, um, if uh, she gets what she's asking for when this goes to the legislature, this will be the most for the foreseeable future that New York will be investing in addiction treatment. And that has raised some alarm bells for people that are in uh, the um, addiction and treatment community uh, because we have never had a worse year for uh, overdoses in the state. Um, the numbers are still rolling in, but it's estimated that somewhere between 6,900 and 7,000 people in New York uh, died of an overdose last year. So um, they're sort of saying, well, wait a second, if this crisis has never been worse, why are we taking our uh, foot off gas right now? Yeah, and, and so that's one contrast. There's multiple uh, significant contrasts in this information that you're seeing in this budget because not only does does that leveling off uh, contrast poorly with uh, a sharp rise in overdoses, but it also contrasts with the fact that the state got a lot of money specifically for opioid treatment, right? Yeah, correct. And that's sort of the other thing um, that jumped out at us and a lot of people that have been reviewing Hochul's budget uh, over this past month, which is uh, the governor proposed decreasing the state's contribution from its general fund uh, to Oasis's budget. Um, at the same time, they're proposing increasing spending uh, from the opioid settlement funds. Now, um, the idea of the opioid settlement funds is this was money that was recouped uh, from companies that 
were accused of wrongdoing um, and helping to spur on uh, the overdose crisis nationally. And when this money was recouped, uh, New York State's uh, legislature passed a law saying, look, you can only use this money to supplement what you're already putting into the budget. You cannot use it to replace what's going into the budget. But a lot of people are looking at uh, the sort of trade-off where the state's decreasing the investment from the general fund while boosting the spending from uh, the settlement funds and saying, wait, that's exactly what's going on. So a lot of people are sort of pointing the finger right now and saying, this is supplementation, which we passed a law specifically saying you can't do that. Wow. So, I mean, you're telling me about how the the opioid treatment, addiction treatment community is reacting. This That includes people like you who, you know, this is your beat. This is what you investigate as drug policy. But also, uh, you know, there's advocates. There's people that, that work on the care. And there are the families and those who are seeking treatments. Um, so they're having this reaction. Is uh, Governor Hochul's administration hearing from them, and do they have any response to uh, their reaction? So um, we reached out uh, to Governor Hochul's uh, office uh, for the story, um, and in their response, they effectively um, said, look, this isn't actually uh, supplementation. You know, we're not uh, just uh, moving the money around because any money that's coming out of the opioid settlement funds will be um, will be used to produce new programming, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, a lot of people just frankly aren't buying that. Like they aren't looking at it that way. Um, we've spoken with uh, a couple of people in the state legislature um, who have uh, come out against this budget move. Um, we've spoken with uh, people from uh, the provider side um, who have made it abundantly clear, like they view this um, as uh, sort of uh, a maneuver to sort of decrease uh, the state's obligation. Um, and it's going to have a very real effect in terms of decreased uh, funding over the next multiple years. Yeah, and this is where I want to. I pa- hope that answered your question. By the way, <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was great. I, and I, I just want to pause here and just point out uh, one of the overall truths of, of what we're talking about, which is the budgeting process in New York State, in particular, is uh, a big driver of policy. That that policy directly follows from the budget is part of what will need to be reconciled as a budget is passed so that's what you know why you're looking at the governor's budget proposal because this will determine uh, what the policies are for for the coming year in New York State to a very large degree uh, but changing gears a little bit and just really talking more about uh, what's going on in the ground you're talking about this major increase in overdose death sounds like we're, you're still you know getting information and numbers about that is there any indication as to why we're uh, seeing this increase in overdose deaths in New York State? Yes. So um, it's been our understanding uh, and uh, most of the academic uh, community's understanding for a while now uh, that fentanyl has been uh, the primary driver of overdoses um, nationwide. New York is not uh, unique in that respect. Now, um, what we're seeing is there's another uh, class of opioids that are emerging um, called nitazines. We don't know how prevalent these are, so I don't want to sound alarmist about it. But um, nitazines are another class of opioid that are, I believe, 20 times stronger than fentanyl is, right? So we're seeing this sort of uh, compounding effect where um, we started um, this opioid crisis with 
prescription pills like oxycodone, went on to heroin, went on to fentanyl. And now we're seeing something that is hundreds of times more powerful um, than the stuff that we sort of started out uh, this crisis with. So to sort of answer your question, we're seeing this dramatic increase in uh, the number of deaths because we're seeing an ever stronger uh, and more potent drug supply. Um, so I think that's why a lot of people um, are sort of frustrated with uh, the budget proposal from Hochul is because they're saying, look, the drug supply is getting more and more lethal and more and more addictive every single year. It is killing more people every year. Um, we have broken records for overdoses in the state every year for the past four years now. Like, why are we deciding to like start paring back our investment in this at this point? It doesn't make any sense from their perspective. I, I know this is a bit outside of the scope of the current article that we're talking about, but I mean, this makes me think of, you know, how in recent years, New York State actually opened up safe use sites, safe injection sites. And uh, I mean, even that faced a lot of controversy, but it said to me, okay, New York is taking steps to really try to deal with this. Uh, yet, I mean, the drugs keep getting stronger. Is the state doing enough? Well, I mean, what else could or should the state do to stem this tide of overdose deaths? So, um, you know, I, I'm not an opinion uh, reporter. Um, all I can say is uh, what I'm hearing uh, from people that are in the community, what the academics are saying, uh, what uh, the advocates are saying, uh, their argument consistently has been that we need to proliferate the use of uh, overdose prevention centers. Um, currently, there are two in operation in New York State, and both of them, I believe, are in Manhattan. Um, and they've been sort of mired in uh, this legal battle between the Hochul administration um, and uh these advocacy groups, as well as her own uh, opioid settlement fund advisory board. Uh, the OSFAB is responsible for issuing these recommendations every year. Um, and for the past two years in a row, they've said, we need more of these overdose prevention centers where people can go and safely use drugs. Um, and, you know, if there's an accidental overdose or somebody on site to make sure that they're revived, right? Um but the Hochul administration has pushed back uh, against this pretty consistently, even though we're seeing the same facilities starting to open up in other states like Rhode Island, um, in Minnesota, I believe is another one. Um, so people are sort of like looking at this and saying, you know, New York is historically been a leader when it comes to addressing uh, addiction and recovery. And now for some reason, we're sort of no longer on the cutting edge. We're not willing to do uh, what it takes in order to like to address this crisis head on because of political risk. Um, so I think a lot of people are looking at uh, the opioid, um, sorry, at the overdose prevention centers as sort of the next logical step and scratching their heads like, why won't New York just do this at this point? Well, if there's hesitancy, if there's reticence, if there are instances of New York not being a leader in this area as it's a leader in so many other areas, well, who is advocating on the other side of this? Who is saying, you know what, we shouldn't have these overdose treatment centers? Where Where's the area of interest for that? So it really seems like the majority of... Um, sorry, let me uh, reset one second here. It seems like 
the overwhelming majority of uh, the resistance is coming from the Hochul administration itself, um, which is arguing that there could be legal blowback uh, from this. So uh, the U.S. attorney uh, out of Manhattan said pretty much if you guys don't get a legal framework uh, in place for this, um, we will consider coming down hard on these places and shutting down their operations if necessary. Um, and that has sort of uh, thrown a big uh, question mark uh, over what like the future of uh, these centers is going to be. Um, meanwhile, New York City uh, has actually bought into these places. Uh, the Adams administration uh, is behind them. Um, so they're in sort of uh, this gray area where the Hochul administration is looking at this and saying, what are we uh, going to do uh, with regards to the legality of this? But um, to date, it seems like she's pretty much stuck her heels in on this and has sent the, uh, uh, the commissioner from Oasis back to the Selman Advisory Board uh, two times now saying, we're not going to support this because of the potential legal ramifications. So to answer your question, I think that the majority of uh, the resistance is coming from inside of uh, the Hochul administration itself. Well, I thank you for explaining that, and I know I'm taking you off the path of what your main article is about here, but I think it's important for folks to uh, have some context as to what's going on, because we hear all of these different stories, whether it's opioid deaths or uh, something uh, about funding and budget, what's happening with these opioid funds or the designation in our area of uh, high-intensity drug trafficking area and what that means. You hear all these things in isolation, and I think it's helpful to get the bigger picture sometimes. So I thank you for you know trying to give us an idea of, of what's on the ground and what's affecting all of this. Spencer, before I let you go, is there anything else about this story in particular that you want folks to know that we didn't get to? Um. The one thing I would add with respect to uh, what the state's uh, investment in addiction treatment actually means and you know, what it really means when uh, we're talking about this agency's budget um, is that this has real downstream consequences uh, for how New York is going to be able to address uh, addiction and recovery uh, going forward. Um, it's one thing to look at these numbers. And, you know, we can write, you know, it went up by X, Y, Z percent or however many millions of dollars. But if I had to give you kind of uh, the big picture, uh, like you're just talking about, we have providers right now that are really worried um, about what this budget is going to mean um, in terms of uh, long-term viability and their ability to provide uh, high-quality care uh, to people across the state. Um, I've spoken with providers who are saying, look, um, inflation has uh, really eaten into uh, our bottom line. Um, the budget that uh, Hochul has proposed um, is giving a cost of living adjustment that is less than half of what inflation was last year. So realistically, what that means is they're being asked uh, to do more and more with less and less. Uh, this leads to burnout. It leads to attrition, uh, people straight up leaving the field, um, either because they're not getting paid enough uh, to keep their doors open um, or because they just have better options out there. Um, so I think that there's a very real concern uh, amongst providers um, about what this budget is going to mean and whether or not they're going to be able to continue delivering um, the same level of care. Take that with a little bit of grain salt because, you know, um, providers are they're always going to want more cash, you know? I mean, it is their business at the end of the day. But I think that there's certainly um, a pretty sizable grain of truth in this as well, 
given that we're seeing um, a dramatic spike in the number of overdose deaths in the state, and given that it doesn't seem like it's slowing down anytime soon. Spencer Norris investigates drug policy for New York Focus. The article we've been discussing is As Overdoses Soar, Addiction Treatment Funding Stagnates. You can find it now on our website, wjffradio.org, and also at nysfocus.com, along with all of Spencer's reporting. Spencer, thank you again for going over all of this with us. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate the time. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Sullivan County Department of Community Services tells us about the return of walk-in mental health services. Stay with us. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Catholic Charities Prevention Services has resources and supplies for youth, parents, and other community members that can help keep children and families safe. Medication trackers, lock bags, lock caps, medication destruction packets, and more. Learn how to be educated, involved, and active participants in the fight against drug and alcohol use. More information at cccsos.org or 845-794-8080. Paid for by Catholic Charities of Orange, Sullivan, and Ulster. This week on the Retro Cocktail Hour, we've got the exotic sounds of Don Tiki, the Waitiki 7, and Les Baxter, plus the wild percussion of Dick Shorty. I'm Daryl Brogdon. Hope you'll join me where the music's always shaken, not stirred. The Retro Cocktail Hour. Wednesday night at 7, here on Radio Catskill. The news isn't always easy to hear. NPR's Daniel Estrin has covered this first month of war and joins us now from Tel Aviv. Hi, Daniel. That's why at Morning Edition, we focus on the facts you need to stay informed and the human connection to every story. The folks on Capitol Hill, some of them aren't even aware of who we are and what we do. We're with you through it all. Listen weekdays to Morning Edition from NPR News. Radio Catskill, your NPR station. Welcome back to the local edition. I'm your host, Jason Dole. We have our check-in with Sullivan County, and today we have an important development in mental health, at least the way that's being served in Sullivan County, because Sullivan County's Department of Community Services has announced the return of walk-in mental health services for the first time since the pandemic. They're offering walk-in services for individuals seeking mental health, substance use disorder, therapeutic assistance, Patricio Rabio spoke with program manager Catherine Johnson. Catherine, welcome to the program. Thank you. Can you tell us more about the decision to resume walk-in services for mental health and, and therapeutic assistance in Sullivan County? Sure. Back in 2010, we initiated open access hours. And the reason why we did that is that when a person is experiencing a mental health issue, the crisis at the time seems quite imminent. And if you're scheduled out two weeks later, Often that issue may have resolved itself or the impact may have been diminished. And so we found that people wouldn't come in and we had a high no-show rate. When we implemented the service back in 2010, we dramatically improved our no-show rate and we were able to meet the needs of people at the time that they were in crisis. We were offering that service four mornings a week. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we had to discontinue that in March of 2020. As the pandemic had resolved itself, we were able to reactivate that services because 
the pandemic caused staffing shortages here for us at the clinic, and we really had difficulty with hiring. So Dan Hust from the, the county did a really nice marketing campaign, and we were able to fill a few of our positions. So we're now able to offer evening hours one evening a week, and we're able to offer open access hours one morning a week, Thursday morning, 9 to 12. So can you tell us more what types of services does the Department of Community Services offer to individuals seeking assistance? Sure. Um, we're an outpatient behavioral health clinic. We provide services to people who are struggling with very serious mental health issues, whether that be a thought disorder, a mood disorder, or an anxiety disorder. We provide pharmacotherapy, medication management, as well as talk therapy, group therapy. We also work with individuals who are involved with the criminal justice system, whether that be family court, a county court, municipal court, parole or probation, who might be mandated to participate in some level of treatment services. And we also work with individuals who have co-occurring issues of both mental illness and substance use disorders. We do provide medication for opioid use disorders, as well as for alcohol use disorders. How do you think the availability of having now walk-in services will impact individuals who have faced barriers in the past to scheduling appointments in, in, in the past? Walk-in services will benefit them because you're going to be able to meet their need while they're ready to meet that need. Now, sometimes people struggle with issues and they have to be ready to address that issue. So if you're scheduling and it's two weeks out and you feel like the need is right now, you know, having the opportunity to walk in and address that need when you need that need addressed and assessed is a benefit to anyone who's struggling with a behavioral health issue. Deputy Health Human Services Commissioner Ms. Melissa Stickle mentioned that the extended Tuesday hours and Thursday walk-ins for mental health clinic. So if can you elaborate on the, you mentioned before, but the importance of this change and now that, you know, we're past sort of March would be the four years of the pandemic, how, how these changes will impact the community. So prior to the pandemic, we were open two evenings a week and we offered walk-in services for mornings a week. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we switched our hours to nine to five. And also because of the rise in telehealth services that were available and people being uncomfortable being seen in person, we lost a significant portion of our staff and we really struggled to fill those positions. So as I said previously, we have been able to hire some positions. We have a new director, Dr. Salif Bonsay, and we have some other new clinicians who have joined our staff. We have a very nice multicultural, multilingual staff. Um, so people are able to come in and see people that look like them and speak their native tongue. So we're very proud of that, that ability. So we're able to now offer walk-in services one morning a week and evening services one evening a week. Um, hopefully we can increase that as we fill more of our vacant positions. It, when it comes to mental health, I think now, nowadays is more a uh, common thing to, to lessen the stigma of mental health. But can you talk about how the department worked to reduce the stigma surrounding mental health issues? Yes. Well, we want people to know that it's okay to ask for help. There's no shame in recognizing that you're having something going on in your life. We certainly saw a huge increase in anxiety after the pandemic, people being very fearful of going out in public, be children having issues learning remotely. So we certainly recognize that people are more aware now and certainly have been also impacted with depressions and unfortunately suicides increased during the pandemic as well. So there's no shame in asking for help. We have a suicide hotline 988 that anyone can call and talk to a live person to address when they're in crisis. 
certainly walking in and finding a clinician here who is able to assess your need and help you to get the services that you need. We want to be able to know that we're here for you and you're welcome to come here. When you mentioned the pandemic, we just talked about a little bit about that, about the impact that the pandemic has on folks on with mental health issues. Have you seen an increase of it and just anecdotally in your life as far as your position as in working in community services? Have you seen it in an uptick of the use of mental health services or the need for it? I certainly because of the pandemic. Yes, I certainly have seen an increase in the need for services. Unfortunately, not a lot of people are going to school to be social workers or psychologists in this day. And being in a rural community, it's really hard to get a draw for prescribers. So we certainly have now more relied on nurse practitioners because psychiatrists are very difficult to come by. So there certainly is very much a need. And I also think that people are recognizing there's a lot of media campaigns out there to encourage people to ask for help. As I said, anxiety certainly has increased significantly since the pandemic, depressive disorders as well. And unfortunately, people using substances to medicate those feelings and so seeing an increase in the opioid use disorders. So how do you envision the increased accessibility of services contributing to the well-being of Salt Lake County residents? Increasing accessibility of services to benefit those who need an after 5 p.m. appointment for those who are working and also benefiting those people who recognize that they can just walk in and be seen at the time that they need to be seen for our open access hours, which will be Thursday morning, 9 to 12, is certainly reducing one more barrier to people coming and reaching out for those services that they need. So for those individuals interested in accessing these services, what steps should they take? What can they expect in their visit to the mental health clinic or community services? So for those who are needing a Tuesday evening appointment, Please call our agency at 292-8770 and we'll be happy to schedule that. We will be scheduling initial assessments during Tuesday evening. We will be scheduling psychiatric evaluations during Tuesday evening. We will be offering pharmacotherapy services for people who need to schedule that on Tuesday evening, as well as general social work services. For those who need open access walk-in services, all you have to do is come to 20 Community Lane in Liberty walk in on Thursday morning between the hours of 9 to 12, and there are staff available who are ready to receive you to triage and assess what your need is and make sure that you're getting the service that you actually need at the time that you need it. And the uh, Department of Community Services is located at 20 Community Lane in Liberty, New York. Uh, Before we end this conversation, I just want to, you mentioned something, not everyone's going to school for become a social worker or that field. Do you, is there a need for social workers, a need for mental health therapists? Is there a shortage? What can you tell us? Yes, there currently is a shortage. And, and anyone who really likes to work with people and see the reward of having people be successful in negotiating whatever challenges that they're dealing with, you know, I would encourage people to go to school for health and human services. And there's a variety of career paths that you can use with a social work degree, and I would encourage people to pursue that. Uh, Catherine, before we go, is there anything else I have not touched on that you want folks to know? No, I think that's, I think we've touched on everything. Thank you. Awesome. We'll be talking to the program director, Catherine Johnson, Sony County Department of Community Services, talking about walk-in mental health services returning to Community Lane. Thank you so much for talking to us on the program, and I do really appreciate talking about this very important topic that we are, it's much needed in Sullivan County. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Patricio. 
Well, that's it for the local edition tonight. Thank you so much for being here with us. I've been your host, Jason Dole. I will be back tomorrow night to do it all over again. Tim Bruno will be here in the morning, 10 o'clock, Radio Chatskill. Until then, do keep listening on air and always live streaming at WJFFradio.org. This is Radio Catskill. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Narrowsburg Union and Catskills Curated, presenting products of regional artists, artisans, makers, and craftsmen. Gift wrapping and shipping available on-site. NarrowsburgUnion.com The Cooperage Project in Honesdale, dedicated to building community through performance, learning, markets, and good times. TheCooperageProject.org And from listeners like you, who donate at WJFFRadio.org. CDC recommends everyone six months and older get an updated COVID-19 vaccine to protect against the potentially serious outcomes of COVID-19 illness this winter. To find COVID-19 vaccine locations near you, text your zip code to 438-829, call 1-800-232-0233, or go to wjffradio.org, where you'll find a vaccine locator and COVID tracker. Radio Catskill, keeping you connected. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Radio Catskill. On air, online, on your smartphone, and on your smart speaker. Public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. We are Radio Catskill. Keeping you connected.